still talking, but I, you can't hear me apparently. No, oh, he won't be able to hear you while he's talking because he's only hearing you off 160. Um, oh, sorry, that's right. He, he isn't. Um, oh, sorry, yeah. Do you want to come up on channel 50, Rodney, to, to say something no, about no, Rodney wants to. Um, wants to wants you to listen on 6 metres if you can on 52525 or something. Um, well, can he transmit for any lengthy period of time up there? Because, um... um but, oh, he said, can you listen 52.525? Well, I'll, I'll hook it up if, if he's prepared to come on for, you know, more than 15 minutes or something. Because, yes. um, the problem is I've got the transformer off it at the moment. But if he wants to come up and and join in, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll hook it... Yeah, okay. Well, no, we can't do that because then he can't hear you. Okay. Yeah, I'll just drop off for a sec. Yeah, you talk to him in a normal simplex fashion. Okay, the only trouble is it doesn't get logged, <laughs> which is going to wreck the log. Um, oh. Just a sec. Well, I'll stop the log for a sec. Okay. Hang on, and we'll pick it up again. Right, it's rolling now. Someone give us an idea. Yeah, when uh, oh, this is... Oh, that's right, you forgot to roll a tape. Yeah. Oh, oh good grief. Right back. I'll have to get uh, replay clearances uh, from you all in triplicate too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You've got you've got mine. Anyway. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. You've got mine. You've got mine. You've got mine. Yeah, you've got mine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, getting back to how fantastic conditions were in 1950 yeah. or 40 or whatever it was. Well, actually, the conditions were pretty good in 1940, but I wasn't around. To, well, I was around well and truly by then, but uh, I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't around even then. Yeah. Well, I was around, but 1957. Uh, I wasn't even a square. <laughs> <laughs> God, it's getting worse and worse. Yeah, I think it should be too. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, but by 57, you know, everything was open to everything, and we just we were just aware that it was open. Uh, some people got a bit excited about it. The rest of us just sat back and sort of accepted it as part and parcel of what was going on. Mm. And uh, ten minutes would have been fantastic. Ten. Yeah. Well, that was the band that people used. I mean, ten was open to everywhere. It was AM. It was sort of like 20 metres is now, you know. Or no, it was, just it was better than 20 years now. Oh, I, I know, yeah, yeah. But the point is, you'd turn on 10 metres and you'd have all the AM stations. That's right, yeah. W land pouring in. Yeah. And we used to... Really uh, low attenuation, yeah. Yeah, oh, you know, it was, you didn't... Just with bits of wet string hanging out the window, you could pick up the world. Yeah, yeah. But uh, just to repeat what I said before, for the benefit of the tape... Oh, that's right, yeah. Um... There was one particular morning in 1957, and it was a roar all over the place. This was down in Hobart. When I turned on at about 2 a.m. in the morning, and between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. logged uh, something like 160 broadcast band stations outside Australia, because most of the Australians were off in those days. They didn't work at night time. Mm. And uh, we had all the Europeans, 2LA London, the Germans. Tons and tons of um, W's. It was, yeah. it was rather interesting listening. You tune across the band. W. What on the broadcast band? Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah I've heard of that because I was in the <coughs> New yeah. Zealand broadcast. Uh, what do they call themselves? New Zealand broadcast. Oh, um, NZDXRA. New Zealand DX's radio association. Yeah. Anyway, what you used to do is listen over the band. If you tuned across the band, you found that nearly everybody was on 10 KC intervals. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, there'd be a, about 20 or 30 percent of them that weren't. And you listen long enough, they turn out to be Southeast uh, Asian ones. They'd just turn up on any frequency they felt was clear. Yeah. Oops. A few years ago, I heard a Yank coming through. A Yank 
broadcast station. Yeah, it does happen. It does. But Let's face it, 160 happens occasionally too. Yeah, but it doesn't happen. You, I mean, you really have to be at the right place, on yeah. the right frequency at the right time, or you just don't hear well, it. One of, the big, one of the big hassles, of course, is that the, um, the atmosphere is so cluttered up with high-voltage transmission lines and so on, and crook insulators these days, yeah. that even if the band was open, you'd have a job to hear anything. Yeah. There's a, there's a theory going around now, of course, that the amount of um, high-energy um, RF transmitted actually reduces the capacity, of the, the capacity of the ionosphere to reflect radio signals so that... Oh, um, don't agree with that. You don't agree with it? Oh, we'll have a look at... Um, Look, the energy associated with the ionosphere in those layers is, is astronomical compared with the incident radiation. Yeah, have a look at the, the latest sort of CQ and uh, 73 and QST and all that. And just the, in, the incident radiation, i.e. the sun, um, yeah. isn't there at the time that you're talking about no, that's it, it right. working. A, you know, like, uh, we're talking about at night sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. We're, no, we're basically talking about the, the, lack of the, the lack of the sun's energy. Yeah, but think think what the what the what the therm, thermal energy would be that gives rise to these layers. But well, the, we, the fact is that there so is in darkness you've, you've mostly. You're, you're in a darkness path, you know. Say uh, the eight the eight thousand miles from here to San Francisco, it's a, it's in a darkness path yes, that I you know. actually hear the MF signals. That's so a point. That's it's the point. absence of the sun's radiation. If, if, if radiation um, makes it so that it doesn't reflect, yeah. like as in during the day, then yeah, well, possibly no, they're seriously considering several hundred that, megawatts of energy. Well, somebody might be seriously considering it, but I don't think I could base it on anything. Well, look, well, if uh, you add up every transmitter that's operating in the yeah, world... Yeah, look, it's the FCC that are seriously considering this because they're, they're worried about... So they've got what they call clear channel stations, which operate high power in the United States. Mm. I mean, re really high power on MF, and they're worried about these stations actually desensitising effectively everything else. Um, and I read, I'll look, I'll, I'll get the article and, um, and and show you the source anyway, and I you can work it out very hard yourself. to believe. I know a little bit about. Um, no, I heard that one about five or six years ago. Actually, that theory yeah. for the first time that there was a joke mm. made about Radio Netherlands. Um, Cross-band identification, this is a, a continuation of the track on the other side, which I think it's concurrent to this one, and it's from the AML tape called General Raves XB26. And uh, on the other side we've had the Branch and the Flinders, talking about re relatively interesting subjects, and then just before the tape finished the Kilt came on, talking about uh, Ionosphere and DX and so forth, which is also quite interesting. So we'll continue on uh, from here with this. Um, and I'll, read, I'll look, I'll, I'll get the article and, um, and, and show you the source anyway. And I you can find work it out very yourself. hard to believe. I know a little bit about... Um, no, I heard that one about five or six years ago, actually, that theory yeah. for the first time. That there was a joke mm. made about Radio Netherlands um, burning up the ionosphere, having set fire to it or something. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it was based on, because they're running, they're running something like uh, 10 or... 15 megawatts, and that's just one station, you know. Yeah, they've got clear yeah. frequencies. You, you add know, up several hundred stations over the megawatt region, which are beaming most of their power sort of at the ionosphere oh, on yeah. short wave, and um, there might be enough there to affect things. <laughs> like, it's really funny. That this in, wasn't in spite of the first edition either. I, it, was, it was quite serious. In spite of all the sunspot cycles, since about the 1950s, this business of hearing a station... <laughs> 
It's become increasingly hard. You yeah, just can't hear them people now. used to talk about working the world on one watt. And it's ridiculous yeah. because even, even in, in a hundred or something. Well, I've done it myself. Even in a, even in a good period of the cycle, you can't do it. No, yeah. no. These well, days. the point is, we haven't we haven't had a sunspot number anything like they were back in the in the fifties. For instance, in December 1957, the smooth sunspot number was 206. Yeah. 206. Yeah. And the smooth sunspot number this year was 23. Oh, okay. I thought we, we would have gone through another sort of similar thing. No, 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 no it, didn't, it didn't occur. This is the whole point. Yeah. When, when's the next predicted we period? We had a very low maximum, didn't we? Yeah, well, look, I've been, I've been looking at these fairly carefully. Yeah. We what had was the maximum between uh, 1958 and now? Well, there was one in about 1967 when the smooth number got up to about 120. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, that's not bad. Yeah, no, it's, well, it's a big difference between 120 and 206. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah um, fair enough. And we're, well, we're slowly climbing. Actually, we don't even know whether we've reached the minima now, do we? No, I but, think ha- but hang on a moment. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, there, you realise, or maybe you realise, maybe you don't, that there are in fact two cycle periods. Yeah, no, yeah. I was going to get onto that. One, yeah. one, yeah. one, 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 one of them's eleven year, approximately. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And the other one is approximately eighty or ninety years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, and yeah. Um, the nineteen fifty seven peak was in fact the peak of the long period. Oh, yeah. yeah. So and we've got to wait previous, 80 years. The previous one was in 1870. <laughs> oh, 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 60 years to wait. <laughs> oh, we won't be able to make it. And oh, do you reckon we might? We'd be 90. <laughs> uh, but oh, the, the, the next one is due around about 2040. Oh, that no. That means we'll have to take our equipment to the garage. I think I'll make 2,000. It's, right? um, it's rather interesting. Longer. They've got these logged back to about the 10th century, you know. Mm. Uh, because um, uh, sufficient the Chinese, ast- I suppose. Galileo. Well, s- sufficient astronomers were uh, recording f- in fine details uh, aurora activity and so on, which is highly tied up with it. Mm. Yeah. So they got, got the long cycle. Got some very out. very good information, and the the thing which is disturbing is that the 1968 peak didn't occur. Hmm. It or you mean it did, but it wasn't as good as No, the it was actually delayed. Oh, it was delayed? Yes, it was delayed, and it came about 1973, so we're at a period now when we should be coming up to another peak. Ah. But that's a bit of a question as to what's going to happen. It looks as if two might degenerate to one, and we've had the one, mm. with the next big one due around about 1980. Gee, oh yeah. Oh, hang on, 1990, sorry. No, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. 1990. Because I was thinking the normal sort of thing would be around 1980. Mm. Incidentally, the peak... Oh, no, not 1980, about 1985 or something. No, actually about now. Now? Yeah, there should be one about now. Should there? Yep. Oh, I thought we were just sort of um, climbing out of the null, sort of. No, it it should have been been 57, 67... What, 57, 67? uh, And 78 should have been. Yeah. But we didn't get the 67 one, and that didn't really come until 73. So it looks oh, as if we okay. might be going to miss this one. On the other hand, there have been some, um, for instance, the smooth sunspot number uh, for last December. Uh, hang on. No, it wasn't the smooth number. There was a sort of a quasi high of about 73 or something. What was the uh, explanation of the, the uh, delay? You know, well, yeah, big question mark. Big question mark. Nobody knows. Mm. Now, obviously, it's nothing to do with what we're doing here on Earth because it's a sunspot number. It's nothing to do with the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. It's just that uh, 67 was 
fairly good for um, low power it wasn't as good as it should have been. transmissions. It wasn't as good as it should have been. See, in 67, I was in New Zealand. I was running yeah. 10 watts um, from, to a 5763 yeah. CW. I had a regenerative receiver yeah. and a quarter wavelength antenna running outside with no ground. And I worked from um, Christchurch into uh, Switzerland. Yeah. Well, we used to, we, you know, we, we had that and sort that of thing happening in, in the late 50s. Yeah, look, this, this sort of thing will happen. For instance, um, the year before last, I ran, just as a joke, half a watt from here yeah. uh, on 20. Yeah, and that would have been a joke. Yeah. It was a joke, but it was a setup yeah. uh, to uh, KL7BJW in Alaska. Yeah. And he was giving me between 5 and 10 over 9 with a, f with a half watt signal. Oh, gee. And uh, when I came up with the... Um, uh, well, I had the old FT100 in those days, and mm -hmm. when I came up just barefoot with a sort of 100 watts out, it was 20, 30 over 9. And this was evening after evening. It was around the equinox, the, the September equinox. What year was this again? That was 74. 74. No, it um, might, have been, might have been 75. 75 oh, yeah. it was. Because uh, I was working... Oh, at the back it, time... Incidentally, I, it was using wet string for an aerial too. Yeah. About the time I first got to know Tony, what, a, what was that, about uh, 71... Wasn't it Tony? Tony's Tony. gone away. Tony, um, 71 or something. I was operating from a, a flat in uh, in Windsor. Better right then. Yeah, around uh, 71, I was operating from a flat in Windsor with a 20 metre dipole, and um, it was it was lower than the flat than the you know three storey flat roofs. I mean, you know, it was just um, not a bit of wet string, but it was nothing. You know, it was running sort of down to ground from the third floor or something and I was running an FTDX 400 and I used to maintain schedules between there and Greenland and there in Alaska. Yeah, you could do. Oh, and a, the, the, signal, the signals were incredible. Oh, you'd believe them but, you know, sort of yeah. people of later years, sort of uh, of the last few years, just wouldn't believe the signal strengths we were getting mm. and, oh, it was armchair copy. You know, yeah. no, I, know, I, know what you, I know what you mean. One of the things, of course, is that there's, there is a lot of junk around now and, um, for instance, I, in my younger days, I used to use receivers like 122 sets, which were new in those days. R1155 is brand new. Mm. And, uh, they're a nice receiver, though, so I'd, I'd like to get my hands on one, actually. Oh, well, let's face it, they're about 30 years old now. Yeah, I know, but you can still mod them and all that, you know. Yeah, but the receiver that I had in those days, which did work extremely well, was a thing called a B28CR100. A B28? Yeah, it was a, a Oh, yeah, the CR100, yeah. Yeah, it's a Marconi yeah. receiver. Well, I had one of those nearly new in about 1956 or something, 57. Mm -hmm. And uh, apart from the fact that they, you know, they were really an AM receiver. Yeah. But um, they were very, very sensitive. Uh, if, you if you pulled out the front-end valve, which was a um, uh, KTW62 or something, a European thing, we used to pull that out and put in a, um, oh, I had a, um, a 6BY7 then, and I put that in in the early 60s, which was about the quietest thing on, on nine legs. Mm -hmm. And um, you, could, you could hear band noise barely, but the point was you couldn't hear any electrical noise. Yeah. And uh, these days you turn on and everybody's got a TV going,
and a colour TV. <laughs> yeah, they turn out, they spew out tons of sound. And I was down in Hobart. Isn't it horrible? Yeah, oh. I was uh, sitting yeah. sitting down there in Hobart, really Battery crazy, Point, mate. in the middle of a residential area, oh, and you couldn't even hear power line noise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, I you know, don't the know. Street light, the street lights used to go out. Uh, there weren't any mercury vapour lights. There weren't any uh, sodium lights. The street lights would go out at night. Um, but that'd be really beautiful to live in a country town where the street lights, where they switch them off at 12 or 10 or yeah. 11 or something like that. Well, in more recent times, just shows you what it can do. Um, <coughs> what's going on? Are you still there, um, Matt? Matt? Yeah, Roger. Yeah, just dropped off there. Ah. What, you dropped the button, did you? Yeah. I've All said right. this a number of times, and I'm sure that the tape won't mind the repetition. If it does, it can turn itself off or something. Mm. But uh, in recent years, 1972, yeah, 1972-1973, I was involved professionally in installation of the Coin Ridge Monitoring Station in Tasmania, mm -hmm. which is at a geomagnetic quiet point on the Earth's surface. Say that again. It's at a geomagnetic quiet point. There's two or three points on the Earth's surface which are actually quiet, electrically speaking, because of the distribution of the um, uh, Van Allen belts and things like that. Oh, what's Pine Gap like? Pine? Yeah. Oh, pretty noisy, actually. Oh. Anyway, the, the two quietest ones known on the Earth, one's in the in the Pacific, in the Atlantic Ocean, yeah. and they have uh, uh, ships moored, or well, not moored, but sort of steaming around out there. And the other one is... Well, who who does? I saw them. What? Uh, uh, both. both. Oh, both. Oh. Uh, and the other quiet point is, believe it or not, in Tasmania. Yeah, and I'll just note that down. Just to it, it runs on a band from Coin Ridge to a place <laughs> called Bothwell. Uh, the Bothwell area is... What do you mean it runs on a on Well, a it's, it's, a a it's actually a band. A, it's a band? Yeah, it's a discrete length band, but it's, uh, it, it's over an area that's usable. Anyway... Yeah. Um, um, could I note that down? Yeah. I'd just like to... Yeah, Coin Ridge to Bothwell it is. Oh, I haven't got any damn Anyway, at the Bothwell end, they've got a big um, a big cross radio telescope, about two miles by two miles. Where's Bothwell? Oh, about the middle of Tasmania. Oh. Yeah, go on, go on. I, 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 maybe something, somebody's trying to break, I'll just drop I off. I think there are. No. I, I don't understand why, um, you know, sort of people over... In Melbourne, shouldn't be able to break over the top of me, actually, because I've only yeah. got an 11 element at 20 feet here. <laughs> 12 element at 20 feet or something. Yeah, anyway, the um, uh, Bothwell end's got this radio telescope of rather large proportions, belonging to the University of Tasmania. Yeah. And um, <coughs> the, other, the other end is actually a place called Cambridge, which is the old airport. And there's another radio telescope there. And around oh, about uh, the middle Tassie? is uh, Coin Ridge. Where is this all in Tassie, is it? Yeah, this is all in Tassie. Oh, okay. Um, there's a place called Coin Ridge where um, the Frequency Regulator and Licensing Department uh, has got a monitoring station, which when it belonged, in those days when it belonged to the po to the PMG, I was involved as an engineer down there. Oh, yeah. so I installed uh, that place, and, th and that was dead quiet, and some incredible things were heard. For instance... Um, uh, we had a, um, on top of a 90-foot tower, we had about a 48-element log periodic that went from 30 megs to 900 megs, mm. um, which came down on proper feed line and so on. This was, you know, all on a big rotator and so on. It was a massive affair, as you can imagine. Yeah. It was about a 48-element. Yeah. And um, point the thing towards um, 
uh, Europe, and uh, we were hearing the 70 megameters in Britain. Oh, gee, the, uh, in those days they used very little power indeed. 1972. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was recent. Yeah. And Actually, we could hear, we could hear Heathrow com communications incoming on 104 megs. <laughs> oh, no, really? Yeah, I'm not kidding. You know, <laughs> no, it wasn't I, I don't disbelieve you, it's just that... <laughs> no, so the point funny. was that yeah. this is a quiet point. Yeah. So if the signals were there, they could be heard. Ah, boy, yeah. Heathrow. <laughs> yeah, we were using... out of Heathrow. <laughs> and uh, we were only using uh, Edison 880 receivers and so on like that. It wasn't anything all that crash hot. <laughs> Not, not 880s, 990s, 990Us and Rs. Yeah. Um, they're nice receiver, but they're nothing, you know. They're nothing all that, that brilliant. This is no, a general not, receiver. Not crash hot, no parametric amplifiers or anything. No. No. No, we're just ordinary, running, running ordinary room temperature amps. Mm. But, um, no, that, they've got quite an antenna farm. They're quite huge. But the point is that there is a quiet point. Uh, the m mains comes the last half mile underground. Oh, that's... That, yeah, that'd be a major uh, yeah. You know, money was no object in the putting putting up of the place. The rooms, the operating rooms are all screened. The aerials are all remote from the operating rooms. Mm. How do you mean remote? Uh, remote? Oh, anything up to a quarter of a mile away. Yeah, with uh, underground feeders. Uh, with 7-8 uh, inch aluminium outer coax cables. Oh, yeah. Um, going out to each of the feeders. Even the receiving cables were 7-8 inch aluminium outer, solid aluminium. Mm. Uh, rather well known. Japanese maker, <laughs> and um, you know the, uh, for instance, the steerable HF arrays, uh, which were just phased arrays. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, supported from a uh, were uh, 534 foot radials, nine of them from a, um, a central 90 foot tower, mm -hmm. out to terminating t uh, towers. That was a bulldog, what they call a bulldog aerial, named after the town in England. What, uh, what's that look like? I've never heard of them. Uh, Bulldogs, um, it's an air, what it is is a, a central tower and nine radials coming down to ten foot tower or ten foot poles. Oh yeah. Uh, the the um, radials are 534 foot long and uh, that takes some supporting too as you can imagine. And uh, then there's a 470 ohm terminating resistor, resistor at the end of the radial that goes down to the ground and goes back to the tower underground. So you end up with inductive loop. Then up at the top of the tower, you have a uh, 600 ohm to 50 ohm uh, transformer right up at the top of the tower, uh, which then comes down on a feed line back to the station. So there's nine cables coming back to the station. Yeah, yeah, go on. And uh, what you do at the down at the bottom there, you, you just use that as a sort of a electrically steerable array with a great combinations of switches and pads and things. It works like a charm. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing a heterodyne, are you? Yeah, that's... I'll drop off. I think it's probably on you. Yes, it is. But there's nothing there. That's uh, just somebody using the frequency, is it? Well, it's not getting into Tony's. Not really. No. Can you hear him? At your location? I'll just turn the squelch uh, right down again. I turned it right up. Just stand by. Good evening, Matt. Hello, somebody can hear you. Yeah, for the station, I think, uh, you, you probably would have been interested in uh, Roddy's comments there on, uh, on antenna systems and so on. Yeah, um... 
Actually, one thing about that uh, antenna system, which is, again, unbelievable in terms of noise, there's a, a racing circuit called Simmons Plains, which is quite a few miles up in Tasmania. Yeah. And uh, if we pointed that 48-element log periodic at the antenna, at the Simmons Plains when they were racing there, you could hear all the electronic ignitions. Now, of course, at this point, we have to ask ourselves a question. Is this true, or is it BS? Me, um, you, know, you know the, the what, there's a hydrogen line around 1,200 megs or something, isn't there? 160 megs, so there's probably one up further too. No, no, the they one. keep going, I think. Yeah, the 160 one's the important one. Well, also, they keep going. Um, what about 12, it's almost on the 1296 meg band, but it's not quite. Yes, well, uh, do you know what sort of signal strength we could expect, um, you know, here, terrestrially, on... Um, sort of uh, the hydrogen line frequency around um, 1296 right. megahertz. I really haven't the foggiest idea. If you had a sort of a 200 dB and, oh, I don't know, sorry, about a, about a 60 dB antenna, I suspect you'd hear a microvolt or two, but not much more. Oh, somebody was uh, jumping on me just then. Um, we go to uh, November. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Unless they jump on you and oh. inter interfere with what you're saying. <laughs> they were. Oh. Oh, no, no, sorry, I turned the switch off while Rodney was talking. You turned the switch off? Yeah, because... You switched me off? To optimise the signal to noise. Oh, no. I was turning Rodney off while you were talking. It's all right. It's okay. Yeah. Actually, um, it doesn't at the moment. The signal to noise is picked up. Oh, that's because I was yelling down the mic. Yeah, I could go into the other room and get the, um, get the figures on the frequency, but there is a particular frequency. And we were thinking of, uh, of uh, sort of working out the... Um, oh... Well, what, would you, what, do you want to, what are you interested in it for? Uh, oh, basically, sort of uh, working out the uh, speed of um, oh, the uh, expansion, expansion of the universe. Um, oh, you wouldn't be able... The only way you can do that is to measure the Doppler shift. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's, that's what we're but getting at, because we get very... I, I, yeah, but where I, are you going to get a frequency? Where are you going to get a standard good enough to, do, to measure it? <laughs> well, I had a standard right down to several decimal points for a specific object or or gas mass <laughs> and was going to measure the Doppler shift relevant to that, you know, sort of relative to that and then um, <laughs> and then uh, then build up the radio telescope. That was back in about 1968 um, or 9 when I was at the ABC. And we were going to locate the antenna system and the receiving system at uh, Ballarat, but it fell through because of the... Uh, oh, there's a... A technical officer at the ABC called uh, uh, Chris, and uh, we're going to uh, work in cooperation. I was going to build the receiver here, the, the antenna system, but uh, anyway, that would have been interesting. But I was only going to use um, fairly simple sort of techniques like a diode yeah. mixer and maybe some sort of preamp loop preamp if I could possibly get it. But you, real you, know, you realise you've got one serious problem, yeah, what's and that, that is here at here at this um, point in the stellar space, uh, it'll be almost swamped by so the, the noise coming from the solar wind. The noise coming from the solar wind? Yeah, at, at the appropriate hydrogen line, you just about have to run a super, super crit... Um, uh, to, 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 to be able to resolve the component that you wanted independently of the noise coming from the sun... Yeah, yeah. ...would be... Very, very difficult. 
Does the solar wind blow around the dark side of the Earth? Yeah, 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 it does. Yeah. Mm. But that would be the problem. The thing is, is the, the solar wind is See, you know blows everywhere. Yeah, I, and I, I uh, I your aerials wouldn't. Be, your aerials going to be pointing through it no matter which way you go. Yeah, mm. I know. Yeah, we. You I didn't actually, you know, I'm not scientifically trained or anything, so neither was... Uh, no, I think, I think from what I know about that, you'd be really uphill to get enough quant... You'd have to quantise it and uh, really play around with some... Uh, uh, with the probability of getting the right frequency. Yeah. It wouldn't be easy. Yeah. We knew there'd be a problem, you know, sort of pointing anywhere near the sun at all, but uh, yeah. we didn't count upon the problem of the solar wind. No, well, the solar wind's going to be active, active because of the very, very high level of radiation out there, particularly as it goes through the Van Allen belt. He'll be wrapped in this conversation. If he's, if he's got I bet he's sitting down there amongst all the penguins with his tranny blasting out, walking <laughs> up and down the beach, <laughs> pacing up and down, furious that he can't talk back. The penguins? Eh? Did you say the penguins or the pelicans? No, no, he's walking up and down. No, we can always talk to the penguins. Oh, the penguins are probably following him up and down the beach and falling yeah. over themselves. Yeah, it's funny the way the... Um the, uh, the solar wind goes around the earth, though, isn't it? It's sort of... Uh, you know, oh, well, it's, you know, the pressure out there is pretty uh, high. Hmm. From the wind, you yeah. mean? No, just the pressure of gas out there anyway, well, let alone what the if wind. We what if we picked a particular time when the solar, you know, sort of solar radiation was extremely low? Well, it isn't. It's perpetual. The wind is? The wind. You know, the, wind, the wind's perpetual, and if it comes anywhere near the earth, it gets ionised, and it sort of starts emitting... Uh, um, those quantities of radiation where you don't want it. Why would it get ionised near the Earth, though? Oh, because of the magnetic activity and the Van Allen belts and all the high radiation that's around the Earth. Mm. Oh, yeah. Are they what cause the... Um, oh, hang on. Do they cause those Borealis things and so on? Or? Oh, they tend to, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Van Allen belt sort of extends... Oh, oh they send it out about 20 or 30 times a diameter of the Earth. It's, it's really amazing to me because I thought the Van Allen belt would be somewhere around, you know, sort of somewhere around the Earth, but it actually extends like something uh, like a comet's tail. You know, it's yeah, amazing. Well, it's uh, the height of a Van Allen belt's uh, anything up to about 80,000 miles out. Is that all? I thought it would be far more than that. No, the street, there's, there's, there's the two main ones, the first and second belt. The main one's only around about... Uh, Oh, probably about eight or ten thousand miles out. Uh, this is remember. This is really going back through my memory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. A uh, long time since I looked at this. Carry I on, think you'll find on. that the the high the the big belt, the big the big high volume one, um, is um, something in the order of about eighty thousand miles out. But certainly would spread out further. Mm. Oh, eighty thousand. Oh, yeah, fair enough. But uh, I would have thought it'd be more. You know, just. Well, that's ten times the diameter. If you have a think about what's causing the the the, the Van Allen belts, as far as the magnetic fields are concerned, yeah, fair enough. Ten thousand. You've got to, all, you, all you've got to do is to find the um, on channel to, fi on to find channel. the cyclo what's it the the cyclo resonant point for the Earth's magnetic field for a given range of particles, and you know, that's what gives rise to the Van Allen belts. And these particles are going that are in literally a a uh, cyclo oscillatory system going from one end of the Earth to the other, and the, the, the locus they trace out is in fact the Van Allen belt. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, you, more. Well, you can predict you can predict the position of the Van Allen belt quite well. It's a function of the magnetic flux through the Earth, uh, and that's about it. Mm. And the distance oh, well. part of the effect. Let's go. 
I think you would have been rather disappointed. Yeah, because I had the, what, I got the crystal, the crystal oven, the... Um, well, that wouldn't, been, that wouldn't have been good chain, enough. Half-built, pardon? You realise you, you realize that crystals are nowhere near good enough to make, measure Doppler shift for that sort of thing? Uh, but we worked out that the Doppler shift was quite high for certain galaxies and so on, you know. Oh, if you're thinking, if you're thinking about uh, sniffing out the juice from a galaxy, you end up with a, a network of, say, a hundred dishes... <laughs> uh, each of them about a hundred feet in diameter, which is the way they look at these individual galaxies. Yeah, I know. Well, we're amateurs. They use they use them as switched interferometers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're amateurs, though. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah. Well, if you think of what game you're going to need anyway, um, a single antenna. We knew we knew what we could expect from the. Um, oh. You know, we knew we could <laughs> we could detect the sun anyway. Yeah. That's really interesting, Matt. Because and um, um, you know, we were hoping, sort of not being scientifically trained, that we could detect something else, sort of a broad map of the universe. You know, sort of uh, as the Earth rotated and all that. Look, what you've got to realise is that there's a lot of people with a lot of very very expensive equipment doing this just now. Yes, but it's and but it's amazing. And they're, they're, and they're having to go to a very, very great extremes to get anything. For instance, I don't think anybody's doing hydrogen line uh, work who isn't working with at least 20 degree Kelvin uh, preamps. What's all this? Yeah. You there, Tony? Yeah. Who's there? Yeah, hello. Yeah. yeah, but it's amazing. You know, in the uh, field of optical astronomy, it's amazing the number of, um, oh, you know, discoveries that have been made by amateurs. Now, I, I accept what you say about the, the hydrogen line thing and the 20 degree Kelvin, um, you know, sort of amplifier no, no, and so you, on. Yeah, that's about what you need to, to look yeah, at. Yeah, I accept that. But, you know, in, in, a, in optical astronomy, the, the, the sort of the keen amateur, you know, the, uh, the madman who looks around and uh, sees what he can find, I sort of sometimes find something. You you would have known that by reading. Yeah, sure. The, yeah, sure. In fact, I've you know I've had enough interest in myself to have a bit of a look around. But um, yeah, I used to be interested in that. You know, sort of um, mm. yeah, optical but astronomy. But um, then I sort of got interested in the other. But I didn't know much about but it. But remember one thing that, and that is that for optical astronomy, the resolution of an optical telescope is vastly greater or better than the resolution of a radio telescope. So it's very, very quick to scan the whole sky with a radio telescope. Rodney, just talking yep. back to the um, blowing, uh, the ionosphere being affected by all the transmitters, um, the Americans recently were playing around with that radio telescope in South America and blowing bubbles in the ionosphere. Well, I was feeding a one megawatt transmitter into it with the gain of the antenna. They were quite, blowing quite a bubbles and uh, I I'm sorry, I'm, not, I'm having trouble copying you. Um. You sound almost unintelligible, mate. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm coming over a telephone or a repeater station. Well, it's almost unintelligible. Uh, well, we, we'll take another call and perhaps you can call in can on Can you the relay it, Vic? Can you relay what he's saying? I'm relaying. It's totally unintelligible. I think he's going to call up from his own missus in a moment. Oh, yeah. Yes, he's going to do that as long as you stay on Channel 51. All right. Oh, all right. Yeah, anyway, right. where were we? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Oh, there's still some rubbish. Could we go to channel uh, 12? Um, sorry. Um, 52. 
um, channel uh, 6 or something for a moment just to get rid of that whistle. Yeah, OK, we'll try. Well, Mark wants to come on channel 51 and say something. I know, but uh, we'll go back there in about two minutes, two minutes. Tony, could you switch to channel uh, oh, 6 we'll reverse we'll or whatever? Oh, we'll presume that's OK on that other channel. Yeah, there is. There's a, there's a carrier running. It's not 160 either, because I tried varying the frequency and it made no difference. No, no, it's a carrier running. You know, mm. sort of probably a station having a cross, you know, sort of a cross-town contact or mm. something in Melbourne. But I'm so far away here that... Unless it's uh, the SIGGEN. No, it wouldn't be that stable. No, no. Yeah, I'll continue anyway. Yeah, um... I know, Mark was saying something about a dish having a megawatt fit into it and blowing yeah, bubbles. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. It was quite intelligible to me, but... Actually, um, I think the pips wrecked things a bit. I'll turn them down a bit. I'll turn the pips down in volume. Yeah, yeah well, fair there enough. Is, um, there is one, one um, exercise oh, going in, in Russia at the moment where they're point, pouring many megawatts out on the 168 megs on the hydrogen line there. Oh, yeah. They're, they're also doing something like uh, having over-the-horizon over the radar on... Uh, on HF, which is rather wrecking things. This is the Russians? Yeah. No, forget that. That's not over the horizon radar. It's an experimentation on power transmission through air. Oh, is it? Oh, something yeah. like... Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the Brits got all up tight about it um, a few months ago. Yeah. And it turned out that they were experimenting uh, squirting power in very, very big lumps over sea, sea yeah. masses and so on. Oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Try 51 again now. Yeah, that's... Uh, OK. No, it's still there. Oh, it's still we'll there. Oh, just before you go. Yeah. Did you take into account destro um, modifying the ionics there? Would be the amount of power leak from the world power system, 50 and 60 hertz um, power distribution. Yeah, that's, that, that's considered. And that, that, that would be thousands of megawatts overall, though, wouldn't it? Not the leakage. Oh, but there must be quite a lot of leakage, even if it's only a fraction of a percent from all the high tension lines around. Uh, you'll find, you'll find though, that um, most... Well, hang on, let's think about it. No, there wouldn't be, because a transmission line essentially doesn't leak. Yeah, but it always has some leakage, because it's a real line. It would be in percent, wouldn't it? Do you mean radiation or earth yeah, leakage? actual radiation to the, to the outside world. Well, most, most of them would be shockingly inefficient, because there aren't too many 50-cycle lines which are even anything like a quarter of a wavelength. Oh, I see. It's, it's actually talking to us now, is it? Somebody's putting CW on. It's that carrier. Yeah, well, that's about all I was... Oh, Hang on, see, just see what its call sign is. Stand by. Give us that CW again. L. S. Oh, it's you, Matt. <laughs> it's only Matt. Sorry, I thought it was that... F I mean, when I say only Matt, I, th I thought we'd found the independent carrier. <laughs> I think the idea is for you to drop off, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking of Even that. Even I woke up to that. <laughs> See, the, uh, the length of the transmission line on 50, 50 hertz is um, a sort of, you know, there's <laughs> many wavelengths and, um, But you they're know. not, though, that's the whole point. Not all, not. not all at once, only all together, and they're all separated. Look, if you think about it a little bit... Oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough, they are, they are, um, And they're usually cancelling, I suppose. And they're usually transposed and a few things like that yeah, to try no, and reduce they're it. they're cancelling because they're very close together. Yeah. Yeah, but apart from that, the, the wavelength of the line is compar comparable with the... Well, a, wave, a wavelength on... One wavelength on 50 hertz is just over a 1,000 miles. <laughs> Yes. Well, oh well, oh well. I there wouldn't be many lines like that around. 
And remember that the characteristic impedance of the line is a shocking mismatch to the generators. Well, I hope not. Yeah, but remember, um, the size of America, you'd be looking at lines that size, wouldn't you? Over over the country? Yeah. <laughs> not generally. But they can, and, they, and considering they consume 35% of the world's power or something. Why would, why would they be sending power a thousand miles? No, look, in most, most of the long lines are they DC. Get a, they get a lot from uh, Niagara, you know Niagara Falls? Yeah. yeah but there's a heck of a lot generated there. Yeah, I know, but they're, they're tending to ship that round in DC. You're yeah, junkie. Oh, no. sorry, I'm over-deviating. Oh, look, that went out. Yeah, you're with, over-deviating. That went out with um, Hertz. What, DC? Uh, not Hertz. Um, that was an... Oh, that brilliant guy. How could they possibly use DC? No, look, DC is the standard way of shipping power around the country these days. No. No, look, look I, have, I do know what I'm talking about on this, chaps. I'm in it. Well, well how can you get any sort of efficiency transmitting yeah. against DC? The, the biggest thing is, with, D, with DC, the losses on the transmission line uh, drop dramatically because the inductance of the line isn't there anymore. But what about the rotating machines to convert it? Yeah, yeah. That can be done very, very easily with static equipment these days, and uh, you get... But is it? Is it? Yeah, well, it is. Um, for instance, there's um, um, the biggest one in the world at the moment runs between Ural Mountains and Moscow, which is one and a half megavolts at 4,000 amps. And well, I'm not kidding. How do they get it to DC and back? They again? get it to DC using uh, twelve-phase or three-phase or twelve, uh, six-phase or twelve-phase Great's bridges. What, uh, silicon bridges? No, usually hydrogen thyatrons. Although they're slowly going over to silicon now. Yeah, and how do they get it back to us? And they go backwards again using uh, synchronous inverters on the Greats Bridge design. Uh, they're very, very efficient. You get, you know, 94, 95% efficiency out of a transmission what, line. rotating inverters? Stand by the logs running out. Uh, they're not rotating, they're uh, static. Static? Yep. It, it turns out that you can get a static inverter to work very, very efficiently into a, th into a multi-phase load. And he wasn't joking at all, a log did in fact run out. Well, unfortunately, that's the end of that crossband, one of the most interesting discussions I've heard for a long time. Very scientifically and technically based, with the kilt, who we don't hear much of these days. Oh, look, look I, have, I do know what I'm talking about on this, chaps. I'm in it. Unfortunately, I can't find the second part, if there was in fact a second part of that contact. I've looked at this tape here, it's not on any other track. So I assume that when the log did run out, they uh, terminated the mission fairly soon after that, which is rather unfortunate, to say the least. I will try and look in the uh, library and see if I can find it again someday.